Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So Vic, do you think you might have ADHD? Well, listeners keep emailing me telling me that they think I do, so probably. Mind you, listeners also email us saying we talk too much about your mum's feet. So what do they know? Yeah, fair enough. I honestly had no idea about the connection between overdrinking and ADHD until we started this podcast. About 40% of people that have had any sort of drinking issues also apparently have ADHD. Whenever we chat to ex-drinkers, this comes up more than you'd believe. If you have ADHD or suspect you might or just want to learn about this link, then we would encourage you to check out the I Have ADHD podcast. It's the place where adults with ADHD find research-based information, validation and tons of support. This is the best way to feel less alone and hear some of the answers to the questions you've been sitting with for too long. You'll hear detailed descriptions of what it means to have ADHD and enjoy interviews with the foremost experts in the industry so that you don't have to read those ADHD books that are collecting dust on your shelf. Yeah. Listen to the I Have ADHD podcast and learn how ADHD affects every aspect of your life. From the boardroom to the bedroom. In the podcast, you'll also hear about their ADHD coaching programme, which is called Focused. Focused is made up of three pillars, courses, coaching and community. It is designed to help you build your own self-improvement programme and is perfect for the ADHD brain. And you can get $50 off the course just by using the code SOBER, S-O-B-E-R. So if you're tired of feeling stuck and don't know where to start, listen to the I Have ADHD podcast. This episode of Sober Awkward is brought to you by leading grey area drinking coach Sarah Rusbatch. Find out about Sarah's incredible upcoming July alcohol-free challenge later in the show. The kettle's boiled, Vic. Great. Perfect timing. Just a dash of milk for me, please, mate. Here you go. Shall we get started then? Have you ever woken up on a Sunday morning and said, I'm never drinking again, and then found yourself waving 50 bucks at a barman by happy hour? Are you wondering why everyone else can stop at one, while you head to a dodgy after-party with a weird bloke called Disco Dave? If so, it might be time to take a deeper look at your relationship with your reliable social crutch, alcohol. On each episode, we'll investigate our own dysfunctional dealings with booze and find out if it's possible to stop this deeply ingrained habit before things get too messy. Yep, we're going to open up a shame shed of humiliating drinking stories to help you understand why waking up from a booze coma each weekend with a kebab sticking out of your top pocket might actually be negatively impacting your health. Hamish and I are here to delve into what it's like being sober, an unwanted warts and all look into why giving up those cheeky pints or putting down those mummy wines will make you feel happier, help your anxiety and mental health and turn you into the most sparkly authentic version of you. Won't that mean I become boring though, Vic? Well, Hamish, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm Victoria Vanstone. I'm Hamish Adams-Cairns. And this is Sober Awkward. So I've just got back from Bali. You're about to go. So let me impart, like I do every week, let me impart my wisdom on you. 
Mm. You're just a, a naive little brain, and I've got a big brain, and I can share my wisdom. Do you have to? <laughs> so you know, I don't like renting vehicles abroad. Yes, no. you're not good. With I had that oh, shocker. Rented. Shocker oh. in Italy. In Bali, very different story. There's no like picking it up at a rental place and filling in lots of forms and yeah. handing over your driver's license. Nothing. So can I have one? They say yeah, and they just deliver it to your door. Yeah. Okay. This is a moped. All of the times I've ever been on a moped. I would say that I have come off the moped. I've actually got a scar. Oh, really? See, moped this, this injuries? scar here? Yeah. So it's on my, on my left elbow. It's so dangerous. It was in uh, India, and I rented a moped on this side of the road, and I crashed into the wall on the other side of the road in front of all of the you know the rental team. Oh, no. And I split my arm open. Yeah. Oh, no. And I said, oh, you've done this before? I said, no, no, no. But the I- problem is in those countries, like there's no rules anyway, so they're just giving people a vehicle yes. to ride on that have no idea what they're doing. I am that person. Yeah. And the traffic is different in these countries. Different gravy. So I was in Changu. I'm okay with falling off a moped if it's just me. Yeah. I've got Sunny and Liz on the back That's of my scary. moped. Yeah. And the roads in Changu are insane. Yeah. So all of the traffic lights just sort of bl- blinker, different yeah. colours. Right? <laughs> it's like a disco. So you get to an intersection and it's just, all right, everyone slow down and let's just <laughs> slowly creep forward and hope no one crashes. And but you sort no of have one... to look into someone's eyes yeah, to, to a, sort a of little check. little nod. Yeah. Do are I you go? going? <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it was a miracle there weren't accidents. I didn't see anyone have an accident. Yeah. But yeah, I was... You know when you, you go to meet someone yeah. and you sit down in a cafe and you still haven't unwinded from the stress? Oh, yeah. I couldn't contribute to any of the conversations. I was still so highly strung and then dreading the fact I'm miles away from home. I've got to do that journey again to get home. Yeah. I it think was... that's why we always got tuk-tuks everywhere when we were away. Well, that's what I compared it to. And even in, in the back of a tuk-tuk in like Delhi, you're yeah. bricking it. Yeah. Imagine driving the tuk-tuk. Yeah. That's how I felt. That is so funny. I mean, I think you've learned a lesson here, Hamish. You do not hire any vehicles on holiday anymore. But by the end of the third day, I was loving it. I was was arrogant. I was good at it. Yeah, that's almost even worse. (laughs) There's nothing worse than an arrogant tourist on a boat. I was just plotting. I need to get a bike because I'm going to get a bike in Sunshine Coast. Oh no! Yeah, it was bad. Please don't. They're so dangerous. Be careful. Yeah, I know. I I was. I'm probably not going to do it i don't think i look good in leathers <laughs> i do I, I think about you in leathers quite often funnily enough we're just getting more tattoos grow a beard leathers yeah. it's not really you is it yeah, no, it's not my thing. <laughs> i'll get found out yeah but you went to a party yeah i had a, i went to a lovely party at the weekend I had a really nice time and i had a really interesting experience while mm. i was there i like to observe when i go out now because i'm completely conscious whereas before i was totally mm-hmm. unconscious and I like to see what's going on at parties. I want to see how much people are drinking. I just mm. find the whole thing really interesting. Don't invite me to a party. No, you sound creepy. It's yeah. shit. I'll just stand in the corner of my own taking notes. <laughs> just looking over your shoulder <laughs> during conversations. Yeah. <laughs> what are you drinking? What are you drinking now? But I saw a girl at the party who was me. Mm-hmm. And it Six was, foot three, yeah, blonde, yeah. big boobs, yeah, tiny gorgeous. bum. Yeah. <laughs> No, she just reminded me of me so much that it was frightening. It was quite triggery. I was mm-hmm. surprised I was triggered by it because I felt very emotional about it. I felt very sad, actually, mm. seeing this girl acting in the exact way I used to act. She was sitting at a table full of people. Everybody was laughing at her jokes. She was going to the bar 
I was counting. It was probably every five minutes. Mm. And she was drinking her drinks really quickly, knocking them back. And the more she drank, the more sort of loud and gregarious she became. I could see everyone at the beginning was finding her sort of entertaining. And then I could see her friends getting a little bit more concerned about her as the night wore Mm. on. And that was something I never noticed when I was out, but I can imagine it happened a lot. And remember I spoke to my mate Katie once, who said, we always worried about you. And I think it always started off well when I was conscious and and being sociable a couple of wines in, I was usually okay. But I could see the turning point with this girl. It had gone from her being jovial and everybody being joining in and being fun to her having gone over the edge and everybody else being on a different level Mm. than her. And she was kind of started to fall over and I could see she was slurring her words. And it was like that scientific experiment for me going out. And I could see the red flags that were blaring at her, but she was too drunk to notice them. She was ignoring them all. And actually, I felt like I wanted to pass her a note. It sounds ridiculous. And of course, I didn't do it. But I wanted to tap her on the shoulder or take her aside and say, look, you don't need to do this. Mm. You don't need to put on this act. You don't need to feel like shit tomorrow and feel like you've done something wrong because you're amazing. She, I could see she was funny and gregarious and smart and intelligent. I could see she had so much going on for her. But for me, I felt like she couldn't see it because she was using alcohol to drown out all of the good bits about her, mm. which is what I did for many, many years because I had this idea that people had expectation of me, which was to be the funnest drunkest person in the room but only when I stopped I realized that wasn't the case at all but the red flags were so blatant the amount of trips she went to the Mm. bar compared to everyone else the amount of drinks that she knocked back in in the time where everybody else was having one it was really really clear and I just wanted to say to her like you're amazing I don't do this there is another way of you going into this situation seeing those red flags and being your authentic self and you being happy the next day and not feeling the pressure to be this person that you're being right now in front of me. Did you see how her night ended or did you leave before she She left? stumbled out of the door off to a, off into Marucci door to go to the nightclub street. Yeah. I was really on her case. I never, never spoke to her. I never met her, mm. never, never seen her in my life before, but she was me. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, oh, you've probably got years of this before you know that you don't have to do it anymore. And I did want to step in. And actually that made me realize why I tell people about being sober. We had a bit of a chat about this on the People Pleaser episode Mm. and the Friendships episode. And we talked about how I always blurt out that I'm sober in front of people. And I was trying to work it out on one of the episodes and I couldn't work it out. I just thought it's because I'm nervous, because I'm proud. But I've realized now it's because I'm wondering if that person has a problem. And if they do, then I'm telling them because I want to help them. And another example of this was in the... I can usually tell when someone's a drinker or an over drinker. I have a little bit of a radar Mm -hmm. for people. And I was talking to a woman in the plaza and I could somehow feel that she needed me to tell her. Mm -hmm. And I was just buying a dress and she said, what do you do? Uh, What's the dress for? And I said, I'm doing a podcast, a live show of my podcast, which is about sobriety. And she just said to me, I have a problem with drinking. (gasps) Really? Yep. Straight away. She was like, I have to have alcohol every night before I go to bed. 
And I was like, right, well, here you go. Here's my podcast. And mm. I understood in that moment after our conversation, that is why I tell people. It's not mm. because I'm nervous. It's because potentially that person has an issue and doesn't know where to turn. So it is coming from a good place. Interesting. And I think I'm prepared to take a hit with the embarrassment if someone's <laughs> like, what the fuck are you talking about? I don't give a shit that you're sober. It's actually because I'm just kind of testing the water to go, do you need some help? Mm. And then that gives that person an opportunity to say, yes, I actually do. I wonder if as well for you, because that can often be somehow less confronting coming from a stranger. You yeah, remember how you had absolutely. at uni, you had that girl that said, oh yeah, you're the pisshead. Yep. And you dropped out of uni the next day. Yep. So I wonder if that experience of having a stranger say something to you that changed the course of your, well, it changed the course of your life at that point, not in terms of drinking, but in terms of not doing uni anymore. Absolutely. Maybe that is like, oh, maybe I could be that that stranger that yep. changes someone's life. Yeah. And I think people can't see the red flags, even though she was saying to me, I need a glass of wine before I go to bed every night. I'm like, right, that is a red flag in my eyes. Here is a podcast that you can listen to to understand those red mm. flags and and get over this issue because she knew it wasn't right what she was doing, but she'd never actually probably even spoken to anyone about it. So that's why I do Interesting. it. Yeah, so this episode, of course, today is going to be about those red flags and identifying them. So, yes, today's episode is obviously about red flags. Yeah, often I find myself wondering, Hamish, why I overlooked them for so bloody long. Was it because I was stupid? Hamish? Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> it's highly likely. It is highly likely. Because I was young or because I thought the side effects of problem drinking had to be more severe before you changed. I don't know. I am a classic case of a red flag ignorer, a binge drinker that disregarded every red flag. No matter how much they flapped, whipping me across the face, I somehow managed to push past never having to address my over drinking. I failed at school, at college, at uni. I blew a finger off. I got in dangerous situations with men. I put myself at risk. I was bloated, had anxiety. People worried about me. <laughs> I was always the drunkest person in the room. But no matter what, I could not see those big red warning signs no matter how crazy or humiliating our pissed up capers were us drinkers kid ourselves that our habit is okay we tick off the downsides like they're just part and parcel of being sociable we suffer the hangovers cringe away the embarrassing behavior or block out the sloppy sex with a stranger and never stop and question our conduct even though the red flags are flying high we just carry on like party animals until the sun comes up Yep, we're prepared to put up with the downsides and keep drinking just because sobriety seems so far out of reach and possibly a bit boring. Maybe if you'd reflected more in those early days, Vic, you could have saved all that time and money you spent on therapy. Yep, therapy in the morning after, Bill Hamish. <laughs> yep, I could be quids in right now if I'd addressed my noxious drinking patterns earlier. When I was younger, I could never understand why people left or went to bed. I was last woman standing. Nights out usually ended up with me alone because I didn't want the fun to end. I wanted more, always more. I used to mooch around Brighton Seafront looking for a house party when everyone else had gone to bed hours before. My problem was that I thought alcohol made me into a brilliant person, a world-class merrymaker. I thought being the quickest snake bite and black drinker in South East England made me cool, Hamish. Mm. Bit embarrassing, isn't it? I thought I was revered from Swindon to Clacton. I thought my drinking stamina made me a party hero, where in fact I realise now... It just made me a drunk. My opinion of myself was skewed when I was drinking. Basically, the red flags were there, 
but I was blind and could not see them. Drinking is so ingrained that even though the warning signs are there flashing at us like a broken neon light, we ignore them, either too pissed to care or too far along to consider change. So today we want to highlight the times we should have self-reflected. Yeah. Today's episode is for those of you that are struggling to notice the red flags. We want to pin them down like an aggressive bouncer and identify the signs. Yep, and for those of you that are already treading the sober path, there will be some useful reminders of why you never want to go back there and how to spot the red flags when you think someone might need your help. To start, Hamish and I wrote down four points describing what we thought a problem drinker looked like before we got sober. Okay, so what are your four? Well, I thought it was somebody with a big red nose propped up yeah. at a bar, like a men's club with a yeah. tumbler of whiskey. What happens to that nose? Have you ever done the research into those Yes, noses? it is. It's the blood vessels because yeah, me and Lucy researched that. Yeah. It, um, alcohol in your system makes the blood vessels burst near your skin. My clown teacher surface. had one of them. A lot yeah. of French people do, actually. And yes. Sir Alex Ferguson. Yeah. He's got big red nose. Yeah, clowns have big red noses, but they're still <laughs> on one. <laughs> oh, yeah, now I think about it. Everyone at that school did. <laughs> Everyone at clown school had big red noses. They weren't alcoholics, Hamish. They were clowns. <laughs> Somebody passed out on a park bench. Yep. The classic image of what an alcoholic or somebody who has gone over the edge and lost everything, lost their house and is sleeping on a park bench. Mm. That is a classic one. Somebody who is hooked up to a kidney dialysis machine or with liver issues or mm -hmm. looks yellow and is in hospital. Mm -hmm. These are like the old adverts from the 80s of like danger alcohol. Yep. And somebody with shaky hands with bottles of vodka hidden around the house. Yep, yep, they're all good for. What did you think an alcoholic looked like? Someone who drinks in the morning. Yep. That was the, the first one for me. Someone that gets drunk by themselves. Someone who, who's had their stomach pumped. Yes. Or someone who can never stop at one. So they're all the signs. They're all the signs that I thought you had to get to before you had an issue. But why are we doing this? Well, Hamish, I think this is the reason I didn't see the red flags because I had none of these extreme outcomes from drinking. I thought, well, I'm certainly not there, so I'm okay. Big error. There are actually hundreds of signs that you drink too much way before any of the listed above. So today we're going to find out what they are so listeners can recognise them. When you look back, Hamish, are there any signs that your partying was detrimental to your health that you chose to ignore? Were there any red flags? Okay, so yes. I was a thrower-upper, as yes. I've mentioned. Yeah. I would sort of hide behind the fact that I was throwing up with the excuse that I was a lightweight or that I hadn't eaten enough or I'd mixed my drinks. I was always justifying the throw-up rather than just like, I got too drunk. And we're focusing on you as a non-problem drinker yes. here. So this is someone who we consider to have never had a problem with alcohol, yet mm. you still have red flags. Exactly. So those eight red flags that we listed before are all that extreme end of the spectrum. And there's lots that we ignore on the sort of path to that extreme end yes, of the section. Yeah. So yeah, the throwing up was my first one. Also, there were times in my life where I got drunk every day. So specifically, <laughs> they would be yep. the gap year. Yep. So that was six months of traveling when I definitely had a drink every day, if not got drunk every day. And then the first year of UD went easily six times a week, I would say, because you're going out all the time. Yeah. So Drinking every day. I mean, even the terms, I'm drinking alcohol every day, no matter when it was, whether it was at uni or whether it was when you're a teenager or whatever, drinking every day is yeah. a red flag. Because you don't 
phrase it like that in your head. No. You're not going, I'm drinking every day. You're going, I'm partying a lot. Yeah. Or I'm having a lot of fun. Yeah. Or I'm on a six-month trip around the world. Yeah. You're not saying, oh, yeah, I'm drinking alcohol every day because that sounds like you've got a problem and you don't want yeah. to address that. It reminds me of expat communities. I remember when my parents lived in France. It's that feeling of being on holiday. It's mm. like you've got a consistent excuse all the time to drink. In those expat communities, they're always socialising. Most people are retired, so therefore you go and have a drink with people. That's how you socialise. But actually, you're drinking every day. Yeah, absolutely. I was writing this on the aeroplane on the way back from the holiday, and Liz nudged me and she goes, are you not going to add the Heyman Island experience here? Oh, yes, right. I thought, oh, shit. Okay, Heyman, so Heyman Island. Heyman, Heyman Island, so I better add it. So the hotel was free, free drinks on the boat. It's a one-hour boat trip. Liz was pregnant, so I was like, I... I'm going to go for it. I'll have all of mine, all, all of yours. Like you keep asking for top-ups and I'll drink them. And then the little nibbles that you can eat all of mine. Yeah. So I went for it. And when we first got to the island, one of the things that we do when we stay at these fancy hotels for Liz's work is we have to get a tour of the hotel. So we get okay. shown the suites and the gyms and the saunas. Just a reminder that Liz books hotels for a living and she yeah. gets lots of good freebies. So when she gets these tours, the idea is she can then sell them to her clients. She goes, yes. oh, you'll love the suites at X hotel. She was like, on the tour, Haim, you were so annoying. I was, because I, I was drunk, I was asking a million questions oh, yeah. like Liz was almost mute oh, and I was just firing off questions like, oh we're gonna a friend of ours gonna get married here overconfident oh, yeah just she's like you're a fucking nightmare <laughs> so that was I guess a red flag was I went for it as a lot of people do I suppose yeah one hour free drinks is a sprint um and particularly if you've got a friend who is sober or pregnant then you're like great I'll get twice as many because you're not drinking at uni I slowly gave up on my passions in life so we would talk about a lot in sobriety. One of the great things is that these you, are huge red flags. I'm laughing time. because you're saying I drank every day and I gave up on my passions. <laughs> they sound bad. Don't they? It sounds bad, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's very clear. And one of the best things, I guess, yeah, we don't often consider this. One of the best things in your sobriety is that you rediscover old loves or you get into new hobbies. The flip side of that is that when you're drinking, you give up a lot of your hobbies and a lot of your passions, which is what happened to me at uni. I, I slowly stopped playing sport i did the uni radio i think for the first year maybe half of the second year but basically partying took over my other hobbies and passions yeah so that's de definitely a red flag and then i guess i was i don't know if this is a red flag because part of me likes this part of my personality was that i was the yes man so for example this is a night that i have no regrets about but is worth sharing and i guess me being the first person this friend of mine called is maybe a red flag. It was a Sunday night in Sydney and it was late and Limp Biscuit were doing a gig yeah. at the Horden Pavilion. Limp Biscuit, such a stupid name, it's isn't it? It's a weird name, no, It's such it? a weird name for a band. But like, this was soggy, 20... 20 soggy yeah. Custard Cream. <laughs> yeah, but it was 2018. <laughs> so it was like years after they were big or yeah. we were into them. And Sunday night, somebody dropped out and he called me knowing that I would say yes. Yeah. It was like, hey... I know it's Sunday night. It was pissing rain. Mm. So we've got a spare ticket to Limp Bizkit. You're in. So I remember going to the house and obviously like drinking fast to catch up and then <laughs> going to this Limp Bizkit night out. So I don't regret the night out. It was really funny to be at a Limp Bizkit party when you're yeah. almost 30, when we were listening to them when they were like 12, 13. But I guess I was the yes man to a lot of people. One way of looking at that is like, yeah, I'm fun. And I always say yes and I'm cool. The other side of that is like, we know that you're always going to come and get pissed with us and, yes. and go out. 
Yeah, so that is a red flag. Yeah. The reliable drinking buddy. Yes. Yes. I'm really fascinated by yours, actually, because okay. I wasn't sure that you were going to be able to come up with any. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting that the, you know, the lad, the binge drinker, the no game home has come up with some serious red flags there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really fascinating. Mine was my arrest. That's a, it's a, it's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good one, isn't it? That is yeah. a slap around you in the face yeah. kind of one, yeah. Never... Never thought twice about drinking again. When one, I got drunk one the arrest next day, or numerous arrests? Just one arrest. I just thought, well, this is this is a side effect of my partying. Mm. I, I never saw the red flag there. It was massive, that red flag. Wow. Never even thinking this means I should give up drinking or, or perhaps my behaviour is getting out of control. You thought it was just a speed bump? I just thought it was part of my story. I laughed about mm. it. Mm. Terrible. I feel terrible about that. that. Is it's bad. awful. It's a really bad one. The fact that I drank fast, mm-hmm. I just thought, haha, I'm the gulper. I drink fast because I'm cool. Mm-hmm. That is a red flag. Downing drinks. Yep. Just the way I drank is a red flag. Waking up not knowing who I was sleeping next to. <laughs> sure. There was many of those. Um, and waking up with a pair of men's pants down in front of my knickers. Yeah. And yeah, not knowing why they one. were there. Yeah. yeah. That's like, well, what? Why? Why are all these weird things happening to me? Never considered. Injuries, bruises, broken bones. We've gone mm-hmm. into those in one of our episodes before. Vomiting all the time. Same as me, yeah. Yeah, getting it too much alcohol in my body, too many toxins, smoking, drinking, everything. That is a red flag. Accepted it as part of my habit. Stealing money to party. Now, I did that as a lot really? as a teenager. I used to Off go to parents. Yeah, I used to rifle through my dad's um, suit pockets and find money to steal to That's buy bad, beers and buy bottles of alcohol. Yeah, that is a red flag. Mm. That, actually, if you really pin it down, I was stealing money to get drunk. Imagine Terrible. that from a parent's point of view. Imagine if you found one of your kids stealing from you. It's not far off in this house, guys. <laughs> Oh, it happens all the time. We've had an email from school this week because Nellie's been stealing money to go and buy lollipops for her friends at school. And so I said to her, Nellie, what's what's going on here? She said, you don't give me enough food. I was like, what do you mean? She has the poshest lunchbox you could ever imagine. It's like <laughs> bento box mania with different dairy and protein yeah. in each compartment. It's like Also, that, there's flaws in that argument, given that she's giving food to her friends. Well, she goes, she buys one icy pole for herself and then she buys one for her friends. And oh, now okay. the teachers put a um, stop to it because it's causing all sorts of uh, issues in the hierarchy the only, of the she's class. She's the child with an Amex. Yeah, <laughs> but she totally lied and said she was stealing it because I wasn't feeding her enough. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> yeah, so... The, the the stealing for the alcohol is probably just a few years yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, it's genetic. I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> um, but hopefully my changes, Hamish, that I've made with my sobriety mean that she won't be stealing money yep. for alcohol. But we'll see. I'll report back on that I'm one. surprised you didn't say you're not giving me enough pocket money. That's yeah. the route I would have gone. Yeah. Not giving me enough cash. That's <laughs> yeah, true. Just give me loads more money. Because she spends it on things that she's not allowed to. I don't have to steal it from you if you just <laughs> yeah. give it to me. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that I wasn't able to socialise without alcohol, I never considered ever going out without drinking huge red flag i was generally unmotivated with work with anything that i was doing when i was a drinker i could never stay focused on anything Mm -hmm. huge red flag i was overweight always have been i don't know whether that's just genetic or whether that was i was definitely more bloated i'll show you some photos of me hamish during my real heavy uni drinking Mm. days i don't look well really a more puffed up face i look puffed up i look drugged out 
I've shaved my head. I shaved all my hair yeah, off. I didn't yeah. care how I looked anymore. I think that was a red flag when I cut all my hair off that I was going off the rails. Mm-hmm. Everyone just thought I was trying to look trendy. But I think now looking back, it was at a stage where I just didn't care about myself anymore. Yeah. I didn't care about what men thought about me or how I looked or I just wasn't interested. All I was interested in was going out and mm-hmm. being the life and soul. I think that was a red flag. Drinking more than I planned to every time I went out and my hangovers being so bad. I thought people just didn't get bad hangovers like I did. I thought I was someone that suffered from bad hangovers in particular. But of course, it was because I was drinking more than anyone else. It's bizarre because those are huge things. And I never, ever stopped to question my behavior. Totally. I reckon most people have got going on in that. I'm like most drinkers have got in their life at the moment. Yeah. Not being able to go out without drink. That is... Classics. 99% of people that I know and me. would be that. I don't think I ever went out sober for the fun of it. Because you don't consider that you could. And well, why would you? Yeah. But of course, it's only when you're sober for a few years that you realise, of course, I could have done that for yeah. years. It would have been much better. <laughs> so why do we carry on even though it's obvious we were overdoing it? A red flag, by definition, is something that indicates or draws attention to a problem, danger or irregularity. Drinkers choose to ignore these red indicators because it's easy to keep drinking and wash away the issues with another round. People snub drinking red flags because in the moment they believe their problem is not that bad. We convince ourselves that everyone does it and all the ramifications are just part of the culture. We kid ourselves into thinking brainwashed thoughts like... I did make a fool of myself, but everyone does that sometimes. Just because I drink more than anyone else doesn't mean I have a problem. I might have spent all my wages, but I think I had a great time. Well, I'm not living on the street and swinging from a can of K-cider. I'm just having a laugh. One of my very common lines, Hayne, was, come on, what's wrong with you? Bunch of lightweights. I would have said that for you for, yeah, to you for sure. for sure. I think that line is a red flag in itself. Me wanting people to drink more was a sign I couldn't stop. I wanted everyone around me to be as pissed as I was and therefore hide my issue in the crowd. Clever, really. I was never the one going home early. I was the one trying to force everyone to stay out. This is also a red flag. Did you ever try and talk mates into staying out with you, Hamish, and wonder why it was always you doing the persuading? Probably not. I was the lightweight. So I I was usually the one going home early or already too drunk. I would have been dragging you, literally dragging you back onto the dance floor. Yeah, yeah, you would have done. I would have been annoying. When I first read that question, I did think there was one night just before I was about to go away for three months to do my farm work. So it was like my last night in Sydney. I knew I was going to go live in the middle of nowhere for ages. And I was like, tonight I'm having a night out. So I tried to convince my housemates they weren't having it. It might have even been a Sunday night. They weren't having it. I was like, I don't care. I am going. So obviously the only way in my head that you can go out by yourself is to just get drunker than you would normally because there's nothing to do in a bar alone there's no one to talk to so you sit at the bar and you drink quickly until you have no self-conscious self-consciousness that's the word and then straight to the dance floor so I had a massive night that night by myself because I couldn't convince anyone to come with me I did that a lot when traveling because I was always traveling on my own so I used to drink loads and I'd meet loads of people and then of course you're just creating a reputation for yourself even with people you don't know I would find it odd if there was a drunk person now on their own just drinking I'd be like that is a red flag you're drinking on your own you're going out to get pissed on your own interesting isn't it because when you meet someone who says I'm going traveling on my own you always 
think, oh, that's so brave. Like, you have so, so much self-confidence. You must be so happy spending time alone and exploring by yourself. And actually the reality of it might be yours, which is no, no, trying by yourself just means you get pissed by yourself and talk to everyone. Yeah. Which is the opposite of self-confidence. It's so true. And also those Monday and Sunday nights when everyone was studying at uni and stuff and going like, why are you going out on a Sunday? I was like, oh, Sunday night's the best night. Monday nights are the night. It's the 70s night at the beach coma. Yeah. I was always the one going out early week. It wasn't like I was waiting until Thursday, Friday and Saturday. That is a red flag. Mm. You're going out on the days that no one else wants to go out. <laughs> the signs are all there, aren't they? Of course. It's funny how we egg on the drinking too, Vic. We rev it up and hero worship it when we're socialising. We want to be on the same wavelength as one another. We enable our mates by chanting, down it, down it. We nudge them into one for the road. It seems the red flags disappear when everyone is participating in similar behaviour. That is so true. And that's the problem. Normalising anything makes it okay then you miss the red flags. Drinking is often a case of safety in numbers, a group mentality that causes you to keep going because it hasn't got bad enough to quit. And well, if Party Pete is staying for the lock-in, then I am too. If we share the feeling of being hung over the next day, it distributes the pain and no one person stands out as being the problem boozer. When it comes to recognising red flags and providing ourselves a solid framework and foundation in changing our relationship with alcohol, we recommend doing Sarah Rusbach's July Alcohol-Free Challenge. The main difference between joining Sarah's challenge versus attempting sobriety on your own is that Sarah provides you all the tools, resources, support, education and information that mean you see those red flags much earlier. Sarah's upcoming July challenge will provide you with incredible resources. You will feel connected, supported and encouraged as you navigate those tricky first few weeks without booze. Sarah is our go-to recommendation for support when it comes to removing alcohol and creating a life you no longer need to numb from. When you join Sarah's July Challenge, you'll be doing the challenge alongside other women from all over the world. Women that feel just like you do. That support and accountability is what makes this course stand out from the rest. Sarah's July Alcohol-Free Challenge is our top recommendation for those of you wanting to take a break from booze, create long-term change with your drinking habits and connect with like-minded women along the way. To ensure you don't miss out on Sarah's July Challenge, just head to her website, sarahrusbatch.com. Change your relationship with alcohol today with Sarah Rusbatch. So that people listening can be aware... What are the more classic signs that your drinking is getting out of control? What are the other booze red flags that should be acknowledged earlier? So we've got a few we're going to list here, which we haven't mentioned. So we've got drinking regularly, and we say regularly is more than once a week. Yep, more than once a week, or even once a week, I would say. I would say any level of alcohol should be questioned Mm -hmm. now, because I'm a weird, sober warrior. You're you're a sober extremist. (laughs) Yeah, I am. (laughs) Um, Putting yourself at risk. We mean that with injury and sexually. If you've got that gut feeling that something you're doing isn't right when you're drinking, then I think that definitely is a red flag. Just listening to your gut and feeling that feeling of, should I be doing this? Mm -hmm. If your social life is wholly based around alcohol, certainly a red flag. Yeah, which most people it is. Of course. I reckon most people. Most people. You lie to people about how much you're drinking. I was that classic case when I would go and get people's drinks from the bar and take a sip out of everyone's drink before I took it to them. 
Sorry about that. That is bad. That I, is so bad. I've definitely stolen stolen booze out of like the cupboard at home. Oh yeah, the drinks cabinet. I've done that. I never had to lie about how much I've drunk because I never drunk that much. Yeah. I was like the the opposite end of the spectrum to you. you just People couldn't believe the truth of how little I drunk given my state. Did you used to fill it up with water? Like if you had a, a blue caracal. There was all these horrible yeah, liquors, yeah. weren't there in there? No, because I think I drunk, I, I think we nicked vodka. Like yes. Vodka's the only one, you, or gin, I guess you can do that with. Yeah. I think we need like whiskey and port and yeah. colourful drinks. Yeah, we used to top up the whiskey bottle with tea. Oh, gross. Yeah, because it was the same colour. It really wasn't though, but the thing I think is, my, my parents, parents must have known. They would have known. See, yeah. my parents drink so little, it was probably still like the same levels. Though yeah, they probably never noticed. Well, I think mine didn't notice because that drinks cabinet was kind of the, after you've had a party and you've run out of yeah, the actual yeah, booze. Yeah, yeah. The drinks cabinet was where you went to get the dodgy booze. Yeah. So whether they drank the tea-laced whiskey then, I'm not sure they would have known because yeah. they probably would have already yeah, been true, yeah. too hammered. If you're hiding alcohol, it's obviously a, re- a red flag. Yeah. If it's, what do you mean by hiding alcohol? I mean, like, mean if you've got to a point where you're finishing a bottle and having to put it in the washing bin because you're embarrassed. Right. Yeah. Or just hiding the fact that you're drinking more than anybody else any sort of concealing of alcohol mm. is a red flag okay yeah um you drink fast like i did yep. me and lucy were known as the gulpers you know any sort of downing of drinks any sort of shot taking mm. you're generally drinking more and if you're instigating the, the faster drinking as well i yep. think that is a red flag for sure uh, if you no longer care about the quality of the booze if you're still in that 14 year old mindset of yep. Warm fosters in a bush is as good as any because <laughs> yeah. it's cheap. And also I'll say the opposite there. If you are only having really good high quality wines, you're sort of hiding the fact you have a problem in there as well because I you're know, like, that's oh, look, so I'm unfair, drinking posh isn't wine. It? Yeah, it I remember thinking like, yeah. that's a, a moderation trick. Yeah. I was like, well, I'll just drink the fine stuff that I can't afford and then I go do it less often. Yeah, it doesn't work. I used to buy really posh bottles of wine. Think, look at me. Look, I'm only having a posh wine. I'm going to stop at one bottle. It just meant I spent more money because I was yeah, always yeah, getting that second yeah, bottle. Yeah, yeah. Didn't make any difference. Um, you're preoccupied with the next drink. We talk about this a mm. lot on Sober Awkward. I was preoccupied with alcohol for many, many years. It took up loads of space in my mm. brain. And that preoccupation is actually what led me to seeing those red flags in the end. And that comes even when you're not drinking. Yep. So it's not just think worried about your next drink after you've had one or two. It's when you're not drinking on a day where you're not drinking, you're fantasizing about drinking. Yeah. And also if you're going to a party and I'm already wondering what the host has got, like, do I need to go and buy more? What is the situation going to be? So I'd always have like backup booze in case I went somewhere and that they hadn't supplied enough. Yeah. 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 That's bad. That is a red, that should have been on your red flag list. That is a massive red flag. Backup booze is Serious Always have flag. backup booze. Backup booze, like in your car, like an yeah, esky in your just car. Just anywhere in my bag, backup booze. And I didn't want the party to end. I was like, I'm not going to get to the point where we're all drunk, we're all having a good time, and then the booze has run out. So mm. therefore, I'm going to have backup booze. <laughs> I think I've learned that from my parents because we used to drive to France and the Citroen, the exhaust pipe would be dragging yeah, yeah. along the auto route because we'd always have backup booze. <laughs> so if anyone, if we had a party at our house, we never wanted it to run out because yeah. that was bad hosting if it ran out. Right. Backup, backup booze is a good, is a good term. <laughs> yeah. uh, if there's more conflict in your life, I've talked about this in the past, like the only time I ever argue 
was at the end of the night. Yeah. I've never had a sober argument. Yes. But yeah, I'm sure old people swinging a punch. Do you think there's different types of arguing, the different types of booze? Like, for example, I know wine arguing, <laughs> okay. it gets a bit nasty. Whereas beer arguing might just be some kind of missed punches. Okay. Whereas something like whiskey or strong vodka or some strong liquor fighting is probably more vicious. Okay. There are different levels of, of fighting with different boozes, I reckon. Interesting. Winehead booze was just a bit petty nice. the gin one is the the sort of feel sorry for me fight it's like oh why have you done this for me whereas yeah. like the whiskey one might be more aggressive like the amount that you thought you. about this is a red flag i'm thinking about it now <laughs> yeah that is a red flag yeah booze fighting if you hate people that don't drink that's probably a red flag oh for sure you're calling in sick more than you ever have before uh, if people seem concerned or annoyed when you're out that wasn't one that i had but that's one that you found out about after you'd given up drink wasn't it yes i didn't know people were annoyed with me and they were you need more to reach a high of course and you can't imagine life without it that last one, if you can't imagine life without alcohol, is a huge, massive, ginormous red flag. When I was a drinker, I thought anyone that didn't want to link arms and head to the after party was a nerd. I shunned non-drinkers because I didn't want anyone interrupting my fantasy that booze was a wonder drug that solved world boredom. Why would anyone not drink, Hamish? Mm. That was the question flinging around in my head for years. Who were these abstinent weirdos? I see now it was like saying life is boring without alcohol. Those are the things that I thought. I thought I can't live without my favourite drug or I don't know who I am without pouring ethanol into my body every day. I didn't know how to socialise without being trashed. Not knowing how to live without something means I had an issue for sure. It was a dimungus red flag, a codependency as toxic as a gaslighting boyfriend. I should have broken it down more in the early days, Hamish, seen the truth in the statement, and then perhaps I would have seen the absolute madness in it. Mm. I literally thought I couldn't live without it. But now I'm sober. Of course, I don't feel like that. Do you notice any of these signs, Hamish, these red flags when you're out socialising? So I would say yes, in that I think 99% of my mates would never consider giving up alcohol. And I guess I'm more aware of that now I have given up alcohol. I'm not one to judge anyone that still drinks. I think we we'll always try and emphasize the fact this podcast is not about us judging people that drink no, or telling people not. to not we drink. We did We're it just for saying years. We did it and now we don't and this is what we've learned. Yeah. Um, so I don't blame them. Like That was me a year ago. But I guess not being able to see the other side of the coin is a red flag that I see in a lot of people now. I think that's a shame that people don't sometimes get the opportunity to see the other side of the coin. I think that's a really good point. Mm. Like maybe if you're a drinker and you're listening to this and, and you're thinking, oh God, yeah, no, I can't imagine life without drinking. Well, maybe just try it. Mm. Maybe just try it for a year and then see and compare the two. I think that's a really good thing to do is to go out there and say, well, I've drunk for 25 years. Why don't I just try having a year off and mm. see what it's like and then come and tell us about it? Funnily enough, I was having that thought this week when I was thinking, you know, some of the things that I say on this podcast or I write for this podcast, if I was listening a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago, I'd go, that's just not me like that. Yeah. That is just not me. I would not be into whatever breath and ice baths and, um, you know, meditating and connecting with an ocean or, or a walk or yeah. finding huge Hugging pleasure and cooking. And, yeah. yeah. All, all those things like, yeah, that guy is not me. I can't relate to that guy. 
this podcast isn't for me or that person is not what I'm like. And the fact that, you know, I only been sober for very long and I'm spouting all this bollocks. I think, yeah, you, you can you can change quite quickly yes. if you give it a crack. So do you think you really truly wouldn't be interested in any of those things if you hadn't started this podcast and got sober? I don't think I would have listened to this podcast if I didn't know you. So I'm sure that none of my mates listen to this podcast. I'm like, well, it's me. It's your friend. You should listen to it. Yeah. And people think, well, it's not for me. It's a sobriety podcast. Yes, yeah. So it's obviously I'm not the target audience. Yeah. I'm like, there isn't a target audience. If it was just for sober people who pat themselves on the back, listen to the episode, that's awesome. But it's for everyone. It's actually for drinking people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's to say, look, this there is another way of doing things and we've done it and mm. it's much better. Yeah. And that's our message always. This isn't just for sober people. This is for everybody who's ever woken up on a Sunday morning and questioned their yeah. alcohol consumption, which is actually everyone in the whole bloody world. Yeah. yeah. I would not have sought this out. No. In the same way that you and I don't listen to podcasts from like ex-heroin addicts. Yeah. You know, we're, well, we're not exhaling, so we don't need it. Yeah, because so, it's got to be relatable, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, in fact, you don't realise until you listen to this podcast, it is relatable yeah. because it is well, what everybody hope, we does. Hope so. yeah. well, we hope so. <laughs> we, we do a good I think everybody's, everybody has ignored red flags at some point in their life. Yeah. So another one for me is that I now see drunk people differently. Okay, yeah. I think when you are one of the drunk people... The jokes are funny. Yes. The dance moves are sexy. Yep. The memories are fantastic. Oh, the funniest thing happened and all that. And then when you're the only sober people, you kind of see the ugly side of it. <laughs> yeah. It's not that funny. The dance right. moves are not that sexy. Mm. The stories are not that good. Seeing drunkness for what it is, is something that definitely comes up in your sobriety. I'm also, with, with regards to red flags, I'm more aware of the amount of time that was wasted at bars and pubs. Mm. And that's particularly on my mind at the moment because we've just been on holiday. So holidays are expensive things that you invest time and money in to go abroad and like make fantastic memories and unwind, right? That is what a holiday is. Yep. The one that we just got back from, obviously I wasn't drinking. Liz ended up not drinking as well. I'm like, oh my God, we've got so much time on our hands. You know, we, we were sitting at the hotel bar, uh, hotel pool, which obviously always has a bar. And we were there sunbathing and reading books and swimming and walking down the beach, wherever it was. And there's most of the groups that were there on holidays were just sitting there all day drinking. And I was like, that is not what the holiday is about. Mm. Like we ate out more than we would have done. I was renting surfboards and going surfing. Like we did so many things that there's no way that we would have done if we'd been drinking. Because that's basically what we do yeah. on a holiday. It's like hotel bars, the pub. So much time was spent drinking mm. in drinking establishments. And now that I don't, I'm more aware of that as being a red flag. It's like, oh, yeah. we're on a holiday for a week. We didn't really do much. Just drank. We were just really drunk and slept. Um, I feel like always with this podcast, Hamish, I've always had a slight feeling of guilt okay. of making you give up drinking. Yeah, okay. But now I'm starting to feel quite good about it. Okay. Because I can see from all the changes that you've made that you're actually a bit happier. But am I... Am I, am I, I pushing, the, pushing the envelope you're pushing there? It, yeah. No, pushing it. I, prefer, you pushing it. I prefer you living in guilt. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like you're doing a lot more and you're mm. more functional. And that holiday, you might have just gone and drunk. And actually, you went out and did loads of cool stuff and it was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you saying yeah, there are no downsides to being sober. And me thinking, that's just something that a sober person would say. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and now I am sober. I do feel that. I, I spoke to a, a, a friend of a friend this week who called me up. He listened to the podcast and he said, he's been sober for a year and wants to talk about it. And the way that he described it, I kind of agree with. He was like, I love it 98% of the time and 2% of the time I fucking hate it. Yeah. And I was like, that 
is tr- I get that. I wonder what he'd say about drinking. Would he say he hates drinking 98% of the Interesting. time? Yeah, 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 yeah. And 2% okay, of the time yeah. he likes it. I didn't ask that question. Yeah, that so, but it's the same stat, but the opposite way around. Yeah. But I, I can, I haven't, I don't hate it. I don't, I don't hate it 2% of the time. And I haven't experienced any downsides. Yeah, I, I'm just trying to fight away from giving you credit. Yes, you shouldn't live in guilt. You should feel happy about changing my <laughs> okay, life. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I wanted to hear. Can you get down and kiss my toes now, please? Uh, well, actually, I've got a bit of a manky toe at the moment. You might not want to kiss it. Manky toe, half a finger. <laughs> bits are falling off I'm you. I'm still a mess. No matter what, Hamish, whether drinker or not, I'm still a fucking mess. What about you? Have you noticed any of these signs of people when you're out socialising? Okay, well, obviously that girl, it was the yeah. red flags were flying high. Um, but now, because I'm what you call a booze extremist or a sober extremist, <laughs> which I actually think is a quite a good description of me, I see every side effect of booze as being a red flag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So everything anyone is doing, any sort of drinking, I see it as like, mate, look at yourself. This is a red flag. You're going to the bar all the time. You're drinking too much. You're drinking too fast. You want to drink all the time. You want to go out. Mm. All of these things are red flags. They are that neon sign that's flicking away, slurring, falling over, not remembering. They're all signs that you're being changed by alcohol, (laughs) which for me is a red flag. It's making you act different. They're taking away who you are. And I see that through a very different lens now. It's like, I see alcohol as something that changes you. And why would you want to change yourself? And you wanting to change yourself is a red flag, Mm -hmm. even if it's to relax or to numb out or just to, you know, be in a different headspace. All of it is you changing yourself to feel a different way. Even hangovers to me are a red flag. They're a sign that you've drank too much. People wanting to only attend venues that serve alcohol, hotels, cruises, all of those things. If you just want to go to those places, I see that as being a potential issue. I did a car crash radio interview last week, Hamish. I don't know whether I told you about it. What is a car crash radio interview? It just was bad from start to finish. Okay. I was was wondering if you were being interviewed about car crashes. No, no, no. Or like you drove past a car crash and rung the radio and was like, there's been a car crash on M25. I don't do do that. (laughs) They were calling me because they wanted my opinion on her having a three drink limit. Okay. I think they thought I was going to go, oh, yeah, three drink limits, fine. Um, They did not do their research. They did not know they they got an extremist on the line. They didn't know they had an extremist on the line. So I was like, well, actually, why are you wanting to just do three drinks? For me, that means you've got a problem because you're trying to slow down and trying to moderate and you can't, which means you've been trying moderation in the past and you're failing at it. She meant three drinks a day? She meant three drinks when she went out. She was going to have three drinks and stop. And I was just like, it's never going to happen. Like after two drinks, you're inhibitions have gone and she didn't want to hear it okay yeah and it ended up me going okay bye and i was really? a live radio interview and it was just and a few people came up to me at school a few mums it was a local radio station said she wasn't hearing your message and i was like i know she wasn't yeah. ready to see the red flags and the red flags were waving all around her she's trying to limit her alcohol and she can't and there's a reason for that so it was just this car that's I'd like three three drinks is drunk for yeah, me three drinks is drunk for me as well there's no way you that's can stick not to a it limit. i can't speak to her again I, I would love to find out how it's going quite honestly yeah. but i can imagine it's not going well and for me that was a red flag and that was a perfect example of someone going i am not ready to see these flags in front of me i so want to i want to listen i want to really listen to it awful. i'm gonna find it. <laughs> it i just went okay bye <laughs> <laughs> they probably thought who is this weirdo 
when I see these things going on around me, I know that I was a slave to alcohol and I see other people being that slave. And for me, being a slave to anything means you shouldn't be doing it anymore. I guess there comes a point when those red flags become big enough and nasty enough that you trip over them like a pavement. They come up and smash you in the face. They force you to think. When did you first start noticing these red flags, Vic? I keep imagining a mini airport ground worker following me around and waving two little red flags at me, Hamish, desperately trying to jump in my path and tell me to slow down. But I always turned away just as he came into eyeline. Anyway, personally, I had millions that I ignored and four that I could not. Okay. Yep. So my first one was the terrible alcohol-induced anxiety. I mean, I say I couldn't ignore it, but I did try and keep drinking even though I, was I had gonna that. I going to say, how long were you drinking with that anxiety? There was four years of me having terrible anxiety every time I drank, yeah. but me desperate not to give it up because I thought I couldn't live without it. Okay, so this is an interesting point. So one red flag probably isn't enough to give up. Yeah. You probably need a few stacked on top of each other to finally give up. Yeah, that's mm. the point, is that it, we ignore them for a certain amount of time, but there comes a point where you can't ignore them anymore. Okay. And this podcast is really for people to tune into them earlier than we did, yeah, or I yeah. did, yeah. Okay, so anxiety, four years before you gave up. What about yeah. the next one? Not wanting to socialise anymore. I couldn't believe it when I read that. Yeah. What? When did you stop wanting to socialise? Well, it got to the point that my anxiety was so bad that I didn't trust myself around alcohol anymore. So I refused to go out mm. because I knew my behaviour so well. How ridiculous is it that I thought I couldn't control it? Mm. I thought it was like a somebody else controlling me, like a puppeteer, mm. that I would go out and overdrink. I didn't realise I could take responsibility for it. So therefore, I knew myself so well that I would go out, attempt moderation and fail, and therefore didn't want to go out anymore because I knew I would get really, really drunk every yeah. single time and wake up with anxiety. Okay. So I didn't trust myself. So how long did that one last? How long did you actually not go out before you get I up? would say that was in the last 18 months of my mm -hmm. drinking was mm -hmm. that I decided that I didn't want to go out anymore. Would you then drink at home or not? Yes, I would drink at home. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't drink as much, but I was trying to save myself from the anxiety by not putting myself in a situation where my drinking would get out of control, mm -hmm. which was generally when I was out. Okay, what's the third? uncomfortable around alcohol that was the not trusting i began to feel very uncomfortable around people drinking because i was like well why can they do it properly and i can't why can they have two drinks and stop like i was questioning everything i was doing and i had become really uneasy around it were you then comfortable around it once you went sober or did that take time I am still not 100% comfortable around really? it. Really? Yeah, interesting. In some situations, like I'm happy to stay out for a couple of hours, but if it starts getting messy, I start getting uncomfortable around it. And of course, I feel awkward. Like I don't want other people to feel embarrassed about their drinking around me, but I do find drinking alcohol a bit awkward now. Mm. It's a yeah, bit confronting. Maybe that's where, where we differ. I'm totally comfortable around it. I don't, it's because we come from different places with it, but yeah. people obviously ask, oh, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to have yes, a drink yeah. when they go out with us. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm not phased by it. I don't love being around drunk people. Yeah, I'm not uncomfortable around alcohol no. or, or drunk people. I mean, I put up with it. Yeah. I would rather it, they weren't. Mm -hmm. But I'm, you know, I have people around for barbecues all the time. People drink around me and it's fine. And I'm not upset by it. But I know that it makes me slightly uncomfortable still. Because you're an extremist. You're, because I'm an you're extremist. calculating. And the biggest one, of course, was wanting to stop and realising I couldn't. Yeah. 
that is what forced me into seeking help for a drinking issue. And that was four years. Well, you trying to moderate was four years. That was trying to moderate. After my first child, I had four years of trying to moderate because I knew I was failing as a parent every Sunday when I couldn't look after my child. And I was trying to moderate, trying to stop, trying to slow down. And I couldn't. And I kept waking up with anxiety and kept doing it again. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Mm. And that's when I had to look at the fact that perhaps I had a problem. And finally give up. Yeah. So that's what it takes. Yeah, four big ones. Four big ones. How did it feel when you addressed the red flags the first time? Very overwhelming to actually understand and tune into those red flags. Part of me was excited because I thought, oh my God, I don't have to drink anymore Mm. and I can start going out again. I felt like I'd grown up and taken responsibility, which made me feel like I'd aged 10 years in one day. Mm -hmm. And it was a bit of a confidence boost to go, actually, I'm going to stand up for myself and I'm going to take my own self-care into my own hands and do something about this. Tuning into those red flags can actually be life-changing. It's like a toxic relationship, the same thing. You have to grab the situation by the balls eventually and go, right, this person isn't right for me or this thing that I'm doing, this alcohol or sex or any of these addictive things, you can say, right, this isn't working for me. So tuning into those red flags can be a real confidence boost. Yeah. I think it might be helpful to go and do a social experiment, Vic. If you're not sure if your drinking is bad enough to stop, then have a mini checklist at the ready with points like these. How many drinks have you consumed? How much have you gone over your limit? How quickly are the people around you drinking? How much of the night is taken up with you thinking about your next drink? If you're at home, how many bottles are you clearing up the next morning? How often are you drinking and how do you feel about it? If you write all of those down and then find a quiet spot and read it a day or two later, it might be able to trigger you into thinking, is this who I really want to be? Yeah, that is so true. And having that year off and going, right, if you feel like you can't stop drinking, that perhaps means you have an issue. So therefore you need to do something about it. Whatever you do, whether it's AA or see a therapist or go to your doctor, whatever. But I think once you're tuned in and you you decide that you can't live without something, therefore it means you're going to do something about it, which is actually really brilliant. Once you are tuned in, it's onwards and upwards. Sobriety, here we go. Red flags are actually your friends. They're telling you to take better care of yourself. So when you do finally meet them, be nice to them. One thing we're learning now is that there is a spectrum here. Of course, me and Hamish blabber on about it all the time. A vast alcoholism spectrum in which there is a seat for anyone that has ever had a sip of booze. I didn't see the red flags because I didn't believe someone like me had a place on that spectrum. But now I do. I see there is a spot for everybody. Don't be scared to sit you might find it much more comfy than carrying on and ignoring all your issues. I know I found that spot very comfy, Hamish. Everyone struggling with alcoholism will recover at their own pace. And though it may seem overwhelming, it's possible to achieve sobriety. Vic and I are firm believers in being brave and feeling the awkward. Addressing an alcohol issue feels scary, but ignoring an issue is so much worse. So please check your flags. And if some are bright red, then take the steps to turn them green. Yep, grab those red flags and firmly plant them in the ground to mark the beginning of something new. A lovely, sober life. A couple of quotes. Amanda Mosher. Which is an unfortunate name. Amanda Moshpit. Yeah, Amanda Moshpit. I bet she gets that all the time. If she's listening... Sorry, Amanda. All right, Amanda, go down, wash pit. Yeah, oh, she'll be sober now. She'll be <laughs> yeah. sober for sure. So she says, if you ignore the red flags, embrace the heartache to come. 
Oh, that's so it's good. That's very, it. very true. It's, it's a bit depressing, depressing, but it's just saying, grab them earlier if you can. Yeah. I wasted so much time struggling. I wish I'd tuned into them in my early 20s and mm. done something about it. Hamish, on Mondays now, as you know, because you're often here on a Monday, we record the podcast on a Monday, I sneak off to my little writer's group, don't yeah, I? You leave me. I leave you yeah. because I go and see this amazing group of people in the community centre where I live. Anyone from 20 to 90, I would say, is yeah. in the group. Everybody reads something out every week. It's either a poem or some prose. And it's always a lovely experience because it's such a diverse range of people with interesting stories. Mm -hmm. And funnily enough, I knew that we were recording this episode of Red Flags today. And a lady got up and said, I've written a poem. It's called Red Flags. Magic. I was like, yes. So I asked her in our little tea break if I could read it out so here it is it's by Christine Lynn who is part of my Sunshine Coast writers group it's called Red Flags Red Flags you know they're there the tingle that goes through your body the extra saliva forming in your mouth the feeling so close to fear as it sits beside ecstasy like its evil twin why do we choose to ignore them turn our instincts off you know it's a conscious choice you're making You've made it countless times before. When will you see it's time to save your own heart, to save your soul, to acknowledge the warnings within? The red flags knocking at your door. Oh, thank you, Christine, for writing that. It's very relevant to our podcast today. And we hope, like our hope with this podcast is that you reach out much earlier than I did. I mean, that's always why I do this podcast, Hamish, is because I hope somebody doesn't have to go through that period of just ignoring everything and suffering with anxiety or hangovers or social awkwardness or any of these things. You don't have to suffer with these things because actually sobriety will cure them. That's it. It's our gift to you. It's just time. Yes. Saving yeah. you time in your sobriety and saving you time in your drunkenness. Yeah, exactly. And we don't have any real gifts because we're poor, aren't we, Hamish? Well, that's why time is such a good one. Yeah. Cheap. <laughs> Cheap. So we it... can offer you time. I can't offer you any gifts, although we are going to run a gift uh, we soon. Are. We're going to run a competition on our website, which is soberawkward.com. So go on to soberawkward.com and find our, I think we're going to give away a t-shirt and some tea. Yeah, nice. And, I'm, and you're donating $1,000, aren't you, Hamish? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm just going to put a box and wrap it up and that's empty, but it's time. Yeah, it's time. Just to look at the, look at the, look at the face of your children on Christmas Day. <laughs> They open the thousand boxes empty. Oh God, Uncle Hamish has given us time again. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. If you're questioning your relationship with booze, you're struggling to moderate, or your hangovers are causing anxiety, it might be time to reach out for some support. Yeah, just talk to a mate about how you're feeling, contact a local doctor, find an AA or sobriety group. Vic's got one. Yeah, just head to www.cupper.community. Remember, if you're questioning yourself, it might be time to seek support. Even though this journey can be awkward, it is definitely worth it. And if you've enjoyed the Sober Awkward podcast, don't forget to review it, rate it and share it with your mates. Do they have to share it with their mates? Yeah, of course they do. I'm not doing this for nothing, Hamish. Bloody hell. How do they share it? I don't know, just write it on Hi there. 
I wanted to tell you about a podcast that I think every single one of you will benefit from. It's called Therapy Works and it's hosted by me, Julia Samuel. I'm a best-selling author and psychotherapist. I invite you into my therapy room where I speak to either a known or unknown guest. Topics range from the difficulties of divorce, a life-changing illness, to the struggles of motherhood. Search Therapy Works now wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So, as you probably know, my comedy memoir, A Thousand Wasted Sundays, is officially out. All my magnificent fuck-uppery in one awkward hit. If you'd like to get your hands on a copy, it's now available from all good bookstores. We always say all good bookstores, don't we? Yeah. Are, there, are there bad bookstores? probably ones with moody, moody sellers. Oh, yeah, really yeah. depressed librarian folks. Yes, yes, okay. yeah, good, yeah. Good. So there are probably some, but we're only storing it in the good ones. It's only made it into the goodies. Yeah. You can also get it from all good online retailers. The print version and ebook are out now, and the audiobook will be available in March. I've been writing my memoir for five years. It will make you laugh, cry, and cringe, and hopefully inspire a few people to reconsider their relationship with booze. If you love the podcast, then I think you'll love the book, even if I do say so myself. Hamish has read it. What did you think? I feel like I know a little bit too much about you now, to be honest, Vic. Look, I really loved it. It was hilarious and surprisingly moving, but I feel like I've seen you naked in a literary sense. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, that's worrying. Yeah. Yeah. From an emotional point of view, seriously, it wobbled my teeny weeny wooden heart, Vic. Okay. (laughs) My teeny little wooden heart. His his wooden heart is broken. Anyway, so if you do manage to get your filthy mitts on a copy, please do me a favour and head to goodreads.com and give me a review. Doing that will help me get it out there to those that need a bit of sober support. So there you have it. My story, unwanted warts and all. Come and get awkward with me. 
Not to be too demanding or anything, but seriously, go and buy it Yeah, now. go and buy it. Go and buy it right now. Yeah, don't just tell your friends. Buy it and then buy your friends one or two. Yeah, yeah, don't give them a copy. Yeah. Buy it, yeah. And you know what? Don't be careful where you store it. If you lose it, you can always buy another yeah, five. Yeah, buy another one. Yeah. <laughs>